Hi, and welcome to the TRU Alumni Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin McIntyre, TRU Alumni Manager and TRU Alumni. Today, we welcome Emily Boodle, 2014 Bachelor of Arts graduate, majoring in psychology. During her time at TRU, Emily was on the Board of Governors, played one year of Wolfpack Volleyball, and after her study abroad time in England, became a study abroad ambassador. What has Emily been up to lately? Looking after your family, once they die. But actually, Emily is the founder of Deathcare BC, works with the death care company Koru, and is the vice president of the Green Burial Society of Canada. Welcome, Emily Boodle. Thank you, Dustin. It's um, quite the impressive sounding list when you when you say it all at once like that. So thank you. Well, it's yours, so I'm glad you're impressed by it. <laughs> so who yeah. are you, and and what do you do? I um so I'm Emily. I've got. You know, that little background you just provided says, you know, the summary, I would say at this point in my life, I identify mainly as a funeral director and embalmer um, and an educator living in the lower mainland. So I am a partner at Koru Cremation Burial Ceremony, which is a local death care provider. I work there with uh, the founder, Nayo Davis. And we focus on holistic family-centered death care. Um, so we can get into what that means, maybe. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us are unfamiliar, I mean, thankfully, uh, with what that means. Um, so, you know, what does a death care provider do? What does a funeral director do? What does an embalmer do? In a nutshell, if you contrast uh, what the term death care versus sort of the traditional funeral funeral home kind of model, is we really see the role of what we do as bridging the gap between the healthcare system or the criminal system and, and the death system that exists. Uh, traditional funeral homes very much kind of come in after somebody has died, um, you're contacting them, you're learning a lot sort of at once when you're in crisis. Um, with the, the death caring approach, we really do our best to educate families before their time of need. So by doing a lot of community engagement and community work. Um, and then when their time of need comes, we do our very best to work collaboratively with kind of wherever they're at and including them in the processes as much as they want to be included. So it's a bit of a philosophical difference, but in practice, it actually looks quite different than the traditional sort of stoic funeral director that you might uh, be familiar with. Now you trained under a traditional stoic funeral director. So where did you come up with these kind of new practices and, and when did this trend, uh, you know, start emerging uh, in death care services? Yeah, it's an interesting tension actually. So I, I did train, um, did my first four and a half years or so in the industry was with a corporate funeral home. Um, I became a manager within the corporate uh, funeral home model, and I was very much three-piece suits and coming to people when they need us rather than in advance of their need. The broader trend of community death care, the, there's a Community Death Care Canada movement, um, is really actually just going back to the fundamentals. It's going back to the way that we provided care before the funeral industry became more formalized. And so it is following a lot of the same patterns that the community birth movement did, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years where 
there are doulas emerging, there are alternative practitioners that are emerging like, like we are, um, to reclaim some of those practices and kind of go back to the way that we used to do it. So, hey, you know, death was handled this way for millennia and Victoria England rolls around and now we're afraid of death. We don't talk about death. You know, it's, it's run by a private company. Well, why don't we go back to the way things were? It's more comfortable. It's, it's easier to process. Is, is that kind of what you're, you're thinking? Yeah, it's essentially, you know, we've, we've become very sanitized from, from death and part of it, actually, I guess it's a, it's a feedback loop between uh, sanitized death care. Um, you know, a lot of it happens behind closed doors. A lot of it's very mysterious and it's compounded by the fact that we have generally a fear of of death and a fear of what the end might look like. And those two things are a dangerous combination because the fear makes it very easy to hand that off to a professional and say, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to look at it. Um, you can do it. And in turn, that that just perpetuates that fear because then it, it continues to be unknown and mysterious. And you know, I just think the, the more we're shining light in dark places, the less that that fear will hold us so tightly and it will allow us to really uh, participate and be present for what is at the end of the day, a, a significant transition in life and a very natural part of life. So it, it seems like, you know, you're trying to make people less afraid. Where does that cultural fear come from in our society? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of what I mentioned, and it, it's also just a really natural human instinct, um, the fear of the unknown, and also, you know, we we live in a in a highly secular culture in Canada. We live in a very diverse one, um, but generally, uh, secularity is on the rise, and so it shifts kind of what used to be or in the past has been. A uh, part of talking about the spirituality or the the transition of the soul in in you know a lot of different forms and for different people, um, but now we don't we don't really have that as much. We don't have that uh, faith that is carrying us through these difficult times, and so I really don't see anything that has functionally entered that gap. And so part of what I see the community death care as so crucial to is, is allowing people to basically move into that confusing and scary and uncomfortable space and move into it as a practice. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily change anything or it definitely doesn't change anything about the reality of the situation, but the experience of the situation is shifted and it lets people process in a different way. So everyone experiences death and inevitably all of us die. In my estimation, though, this is an incredibly niche um, market that you're in, um, the holistic sense of it. How did you get into this specifically? Mm -hmm. It's, well, it began, you know, I, like you mentioned, I graduated with my psychology degree. And so I learned a lot about therapeutic approaches through my education. Um, my mom is is has her master's in education, and she's got a lot of information. I I learned about the way that we process things, and I learned about how our brains work. And I think that putting that lens on death work 
I just saw such huge gaps in the way that we're serving families by coming to them a little bit late in the game, uh, trying to inform people when they're in crisis and we know that their brain chemicals just, they're not in a position to absorb anything, let alone make these big decisions, including a lot of expensive decisions that they're, they're having to try and make when they're essentially in crisis. So I, while working in, in the more traditional model, I just was really unsatisfied with the way that we are serving families and the way that we were attempting to support our community. And so it's just a really natural flow from wanting to change the practice into the work I'm doing now, because I see this as a much more gentle and a much more empowering experience for families. I have seen it be absolutely transformative for people. Yeah, that's, that's really great. I saw on your website that, you know, you're an advocate for a lot of different types of, of death care and that uh, in British Columbia here, we're really restrictive on, uh, you know, how your body is uh, perhaps, you know, sent to the, the next space. Um, do mm -hmm. you want to speak to that a little bit? What are you advocating for? Why can't we get there? And what are the yeah. next steps? That's a great question. So in BC, we have two, two forms of disposition. We have flame-based cremation and we have ground burial. And in Washington, in our, our neighbor, <laughs> uh, they have uh, alkaline hydrolysis, which you know is goes by many names, but water cremation or aquamation. And they also have natural organic reduction, which is known as human composting. And so these two alternatives are being used in, in multiple states. In the case of alkaline hydrolysis, it's been available in Saskatchewan since 2013, but it's also in Quebec and Ontario and in the Yukon. Um, and they're just not options in BC. And BC has a, a almost a 90% cremation rate and when you look at the fossil fuel emissions um, from, from cremation, it's actually quite high, as well as all of the other chemicals that are being, being cremated alongside, you know, there's even mercury and, and all of the glues and things that go into caskets. Um, so it's actually, there's, there is a carbon footprint to our death care and an alternative like alkaline hydrolysis, for example, uses water instead, but it is a, a process that you can turn into a cycle of reuse. And it, in, in some forms, it basically takes about the same amount of time as regular cremation, typical flame cremation, and you end up with cremated remains, same as you would with flame cremation, but you've just, you've not emitted all of that into the air. Um, the, the main barrier or the only barrier essentially is that there's there's very little interest in on a legislation level to change our legislation to include alternative forms of disposition. It's essentially it, it's it's apathy. Really, uh, yeah. I find that really interesting. You know, BC always claims that we're a more green province and we're always pushing, but it sounds like we're really uh, behind the times in this specific situation and apathy makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, not my problem is always an issue. Well, and it's, I, it's just a small note, but there, there are American companies that are planning on setting up, uh, companies to provide these services just across the border in Blaine <laughs> and to provide them to Canadians. <laughs> take their, their grandma passes away, take their grandma. Yeah. 
to the States. To the States to get aquamated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Obviously you don't bring her back in a fishbowl. What what does that look like? How do you, how do you get, you know, maybe it's a a silly question, but how do you get the body out of the water after all the the remains? Yeah. So it's basically, if you think of it, um, there's a couple of different designs of them, but one of them is you basically, your body is on a tray. It looks a lot like a regular crematorium retort. And so you, you are laid out on this tray in a natural fiber shroud that will easily break down or, you know, in, in just your basics and you're, and, slid into what is essentially a cylinder and that tray allows you know the liquid to flow through because it's essentially movement uh some pressure heat and lye that that break the body down and what you're left with is skeletal remains which is the exact same with flame cremation and so once that process is completed and and drained then you just pull that same tray out and the the remains are processed down into what we would call cremated remains, which again is the exact same process as flame cremation. Um, the, the interesting thing with aquamation is that it's actually so gentle that um, very fine, fine bones are, are still there. And even something as, as small as a stint, a medical stint, um, will be preserved in that process because it's so gentle. Um, so you actually end up with more cremated remains. It's about a third more um, on average. But yeah, in, in that example, if someone were to go over to the U.S. to be aquamated, then we would bring back their cremated remains in an urn. Um, and, and it would look a lot like what our process is now um, for anybody who's on the outside. Wow, that's incredibly interesting. So, you know, they're doing death service right in Washington or, you know, who, when you look out into the world now, and you obviously have done a lot of research, who is doing it right? You know, who have, have taken all these methods in and, and provide a lot of different options, a lot of different services. Um, you know, who do you want to emulate uh, our system after? Yeah, I think Washington has been a, a real leader in it. Um, the natural organic reduction, as well as a process that they they got behind and they moved that legislation through pretty pretty quickly um, for for how kind of outlandish it seemed. Um, but they've got families who are able to access it now versus us. There's been groups in BC who have been advocating for alkaline hydrolysis for years. And there's, we're getting the same response over and over and over. Um, it's just not going anywhere. And so I do think in Washington, they're, they're very open-minded. Um, and they're also, you know, they're, they're understanding that it's also a business. And we are trying to offer British Columbians every option. Um, but British Columbia is at, at this point just not prioritizing it. Speaking of prioritizing, you know, we've all gone through the last two years of COVID. Um, How has your job changed because of it? You know, um, death services is a very intimate um, situation. You know, funerals bring people together um, for better or worse. And, And here we are two years into not being able to do any of those things in person. How have you adjusted? How have families adjusted? Yeah, it's it's been it's been in waves obviously the whole thing has been in waves so 
initially it was um it was incredibly difficult those first i would say those first six months of the pandemic course were the hardest for a lot of us that we've experienced but i would say for us in in death services just figuring out what was going on and what we could do was um was an, a crazy problem and and also very much we are we are frontline workers so we've got staff who go into hospitals who go into long-term care i was working where the initial outbreak happened in north vancouver and we had families coming in to sit down with us who had been with their loved one over the preceding couple of weeks and then they were just coming into our office for these meetings because we didn't know any differently at that time and so it was almost an overnight shift where we had to tell families we we can't see you in person and anybody who works in a caring profession or in a service profession will know how hard it is to try and still provide connection and service to people when you can't look them in the eyes and when you can't just say yes to everything that they're asking for so i i had some really excruciating experiences with families because every loss is not uh not an expected loss we had a lot of you know the the opioid crisis in 2021 claimed six british columbians a day on average and that crisis compounded by the fact that we then had to tell those families with these untimely tragic deaths that you cannot gather and you cannot grieve together. And that emotional and spiritual toll is the thing that I, I believe that we are, as an industry and as communities, we need to figure out how we are going to redress and connect after that, because the, the grief and isolation has been just such an, a burden for families. And I, I have just seen it, seen people trying to carry this and it's been, uh, a very very hard part of my job no question so what what stays post-covid so you know that you've adapted to technology um you know you've transitioned and done so many different things what do you think will carry on what's the legacy from covid i think there's been some positive stuff i think um <laughs> this might seem silly but using docusign and and digital signatures has made it a lot easier for people who don't necessarily want to come to your office five times to sign documents. Right. Um, and I kind of appreciate just how simplified that part is. It, it's allowed us to kind of get the, the more logistical kind of nitty gritty stuff has been really efficient. Um, so I think actually digitizing has been very great. Um, the other thing that I think will be a legacy and something that continues is including people who are abroad or just out of town, including them in services through live streaming and, and virtual attendance. Um, I attended a lot of virtual funerals in the last two years. And while I wholeheartedly believe that if you can be there in person and you can hold each other's hands and hug and cry together, that that is that is incredibly valuable. But for those who are maybe have mobility challenges or have, you know, they just can't afford to fly across the country for a funeral. The fact that we're including those people meaningfully using, you know, using Zoom even or using live streaming, um, that was just not something that was mainstream before. And now it's almost every single service. So I think that that 
has been an incredible way of including a broad community in our grief and in that time. Um, so I, I believe that that will stay. And that's been a really, an, a very, you know, good outcome. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And what's next for you, Emily Boodle? Right now, um, Nayo and I, we are really focused on um, cultivating Koru and what we're offering. We are working towards carbon neutrality, which is, is a challenge where we're trying to offset all these flame cremations and, and the amount of driving that we need to do. Um, but we're really trying to focus on being a sustainable provider um, and, and doing more of this, doing more of trying to get information out there in an accessible and non-scary way um, to people who may not otherwise even look at it or think about it. You know, there's this robust death caring community that's growing slowly all the time, um, but really trying to turn that message outward so that people who maybe don't want to make death caring their whole life um, can at least get exposed to enough information that they will feel prepared when the time comes or equipped um, to support their own family. That's, that's amazing. And Emily Boodle, where can we find you? Where are your social medias or your websites? Yeah, so uh, deathcarebc.ca is the um, education part that I do on my own and um, and with support from my community. But uh, korucremation.com, K-O-R-U cremation.com is the site that NIO has been working on for years and that I'm I'm coming into now that is a it's an incredible resource for anybody in BC you don't have to be in the lower mainland to get value from it um, our our social media is at Koru death care so we're we're working on it I'm working on being better at posting things um, but if you need to reach us you know we're on all the usual Instagram Facebook Twitter LinkedIn um, if you if we encourage anybody, even if you just got questions and you, you know, you just need a five minute conversation with somebody who knows about this stuff, you're everyone is welcome to contact us. Amazing. Thank you so much, Emily Boodle, for joining us today. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks for getting the message out. Thanks for listening to the TRU Alumni Podcast. This episode was hosted by me, Dustin McIntyre. Technical Productions by Dustin McIntyre and Andrew Skopenko, recorded at Thompson Rivers University in sunny Kamloops, British Columbia, on the traditional territory of the Kamloops Dishikwepnik peoples.